You're listening to the Berkeley Technology Law Journal Podcast. I'm Kurt Fredrickson. I'm Jimena Velasquez-Arenas. I'm Nathaniel Calera. And I'm Kavya Dasari. Today, our podcast will be about a topic that has garnered much attention over the last few years, antitrust lawsuits against big technology companies. We sat down with Professor Christopher Hockett, an expert in antitrust and a lecturer at the University of California, Berkeley School of Law. He will be helping us dissect the intricacies of what antitrust means in the context of the technology industry. Let's get started. Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Google were all slapped with antitrust allegations last year. The Department of Justice has accused Google of using anti-competitive tactics to preserve a monopoly for its flagship search engine business, filing a suit on October 20th, 2020. The Federal Trade Commission sued Facebook on December 9th, 2020, accusing the social media giant of buying and freezing out small startups such as WhatsApp and Instagram to choke competition. Ten states filed an antitrust suit against Google, also on December 9th, accusing the search giant of enlisting Facebook in an alleged deal to rig ad auctions and running an illegal digital advertising monopoly. Facebook was also sued by a coalition of 46 states, along with the District of Columbia and Guam, for stifling competition and harming consumers. And finally, an antitrust action was brought by Colorado and other states against Google on December 10th, alleging that the company harmed competition by favoring its own services and products and by discriminating against companies offering more specialized search services. In July 2020, we heard big tech CEOs testify before Congress on their company's alleged practices of quashing rivals and overcharging consumers to achieve market dominance. Mr. Bachai, do you know how Google responded when Yelp asked you to stop stealing their reviews? Well, I'll tell you, our investigation shows that Google's response was to threaten to delist Yelp entirely. Congressman, uh, you know, when I run the company, I'm really focused on giving users what they want. We conduct ourselves to the highest standard. In a chat, you told Mr. Seistrom that Facebook was, quote, developing our own photo strategy, so how we engage now will also determine how much we're partners versus competitors down the line. Instagram's founders seem to think that was a threat. Congresswoman, I want to respectfully disagree with the characterization. I think it was, it was clear that this was a space that we were going to uh, compete in one way or another. I don't view those conversations as a threat in any way. Last week, one of Amazon's former engineers posted online that he and his team, quote, proactively identified growing businesses on AWS, that they built competing products, and that they targeted those products to the business's customers. And there's been public reporting on that strategy. So I guess I wonder if you can comment on that. We see that it's an important product for customers, and we make our own product offering in that arena. Uh, and but it doesn't mean we stop servicing the uh, the other companies that are also uh, making those products. We have competitors using AWS, and we work very hard to make them successful. Apple is the sole decision maker as to whether an app is made available to app users through Apple's app store. Isn't that correct? Sir, we treat every developer the same. We have open uh, and transparent rules. It's a rigorous process. The House Judiciary's report, dated October 2020, summarized allegedly anti-competitive business practices in the technology industry, stating that, currently, tech giants serve the function of a gatekeeper 
and their control over access to markets allows them to pick winners and losers throughout our economy. The report alleges that the companies are abusing their market power by charging exorbitant fees, imposing oppressive contract terms, and extracting valuable data from people and businesses that rely on them. Further, these tech companies have utilized their gatekeeper function to continue to retain their market power. Because of these companies' tremendous control over the infrastructure of the digital age, the companies have, quote, surveilled other businesses to identify potential rivals and have ultimately bought out, copied, or cut off their competitive threats, end quote. The tech giant's exploitation of power is evident in their self-preferencing, predatory pricing, or exclusionary conduct. Currently, about 40 states have filed antitrust lawsuits against Google, alleging that the company, quote, manipulates its search results to give its own products and services greater ranking over rivals, unquote. Another lawsuit claims that Google has become a monopoly as its search engine captures about 90% of U.S. search queries. The attorneys generals of 38 states, led by Colorado and Nebraska, are also looking into Google's anti-competitive behavior in the digital advertising market. Similarly, as mentioned earlier, the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, in 46 states have brought antitrust charges against Facebook for buying up competitors like WhatsApp and Instagram. European Union regulators have also filed antitrust charges against Amazon, alleging that the firm is, quote, using its access to data from companies that sell on its platform to gain unfair advantage over them, unquote. Additionally, the EU Competition Commission launched a formal antitrust investigation into Apple's market conduct. There are growing concerns in the United States that the Department of Justice should investigate Apple's monopolistic control over its App Store as well. The House Judiciary Committee asserts that technology companies are turning into, quote, the kinds of monopolies we last saw in the era of oil barons and railroad tycoons, end quote. The present market structure where tech giants are running the marketplace while at the same time competing in that marketplace is an uneven playing field. Regulators express concern that the result of this market dominance is, quote, less innovation, fewer choices for consumers, and a weakened democracy, end quote. To help us tackle this complicated subject, we interviewed Professor Christopher Hockett, a lecturer at the UC Berkeley School of Law. Professor Hockett received his JD from the University of Virginia. He has over 30 years of antitrust experience in the fields of technology, media, and telecommunications, and served as the global head of the antitrust practice at law firm Davis Polk. On that note, let's welcome Professor Hockett to the podcast. Hi, my name is Chris Hockett. I'm a lecturer at Berkeley Law School, and um, the uh, course that I'm teaching this semester is called Antitrust and Technology Platforms. And it's about antitrust as applied to the uh, big platform companies, specifically Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. Thank you so much, Professor Hockett, for joining us on today's podcast. We're really excited to speak with you about a topic that's been on everyone's mind lately, antitrust lawsuits and investigations against big tech companies. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Our first question for you is, what are some ways in which antitrust cases in the technology sector are different from traditional antitrust cases? Well, thanks for having me on. Um, good question. Um, I would say that technology businesses are different from non-technology businesses in several ways. One, it's an area with highly dynamic competition uh, and lots of innovation. Um, and 
it also is an area, and this is relevant to our topic for today, where market conditions exist that can raise barriers to entry and limit competition. So it tends to be an area where you have strong network effects that may make uh, market tipping more likely. And you might also have powerful economies of scale and scope that tend to uh, produce and reward and perpetuate large businesses. Um, so there are a few other uh, characteristics that, that help protect uh, and promote dominant technology platforms, including uh, low marginal costs um, and uh, high switching costs in some cases. And there are some behavioral characteristics like user inertia that, that also come to bear. But in short, it does make it sometimes difficult for new entrants to compete with established players. You mentioned market tipping. Could you expand on that topic a little bit? Yeah, market tipping is a phenomenon in which there might be a, a lot of competition at the beginning of an innovation, but the competition tends to be uh, for the market rather than within the market. So the winner, because of network effects and economies of scale and scope, uh, it's more likely than not that one firm is going to end up in a dominant position uh, rather than a, um, a market in which uh, a, a variety of different competitors continue to compete selling the same thing. So when you think about the big tech platforms, um, Facebook is by far the dominant social network and Google is by far the dominant uh, search platform and Amazon Amazon is by far the dominant um, uh, e-commerce platform. So um, th that's what I mean by tipping. Once those firms have established their dominant position, then uh, they tend to control until some kind of uh, disruptive innovation comes along to unseat them. Thank you for putting that in perspective. A follow-up to that is arguably most of the products at issue in these antitrust cases are free of charge from a strictly financial point of view. What is it about the way these companies are operating that necessitates a discussion of unfair market competition? Yeah, let me start by saying and acknowledging that um, it is amazing what we get for paying no monetary price uh, for some of these uh, services like uh, search and social media. Um, those services have added a huge amount of consumer welfare to the economy. Um, they're enormously beneficial and valuable to users. Uh, there are economic studies showing that uh, with respect to uh, online search, for example, uh, consumers value that in the thousands of dollars per year, and they pay no monetary price. At the same time, we know that um, when there's less competition or when there's a monopoly, um, we look for effects in the market on prices and quality and innovation. Higher prices or lower quality or less innovation are the hallmarks of um, a market where there is insufficient competition or monopoly. 
And for ad-supported platforms like uh, Google and Facebook, the zero monetary price doesn't mean that users aren't providing anything of value uh, in exchange for what they're getting. They're providing platforms with um, uh, data, uh, signals about their interests and preferences, uh, lots of information, and then their attention, which uh, the av the platforms then sell to advertisers. Um, and those are very valuable advertising opportunities on the other side of the platform that the platform um, operators make billions of dollars a year from. So, we ask ourselves, well, what if the um, incumbent platforms faced more competition than, they, than we see now? What, what might happen? Well, we could see things like uh, users paying a negative price, for example, getting paid for um, submitting or allowing their data to be used for uh, sale to advertisers for targeted advertising opportunities. We might see advertisers paying less if there were more competition for the online advertising that they place. Um, we might see users getting better quality or more innovation from the platforms, uh, maybe in the form of fewer ads or possibly more privacy protections, although that's a, that's a question mark. So we don't know because we we just have these dominant players right now and they have very high market shares. Uh, but those are some of the things that might be possible if there were more competition. In late 2020, three separate lawsuits were filed against Google for alleged antitrust violations. Two of the cases focus on Google's monopoly on search engines and search advertising, one filed by the DOJ and the other by the attorneys general of 38 states. And the third concerns Google's control over non-search advertising. In response to these antitrust claims, Google's senior vice president of global affairs, Kent Walker, said that, quote, people don't use Google because they have to, they use it because they choose to, end quote. Google processes around 90% of all online searches in the U.S. The company has also been accused of anti-competitive practices by giving priority to its own products, such as shopping ads or local business listings, and search displays over those of competitors. Further, the DOJ's lawsuit also accuses Google of cutting deals with phone maker companies like Samsung and Apple to set Google as a default search engine on their products. Legislators from both parties have expressed concern that Google's dominance gives it an unfair advantage in the market. While Google has not been free from scrutiny in years past, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission conducted a two-year investigation on Google's practices, concluding it had not violated antitrust laws in 2013. The current lawsuits signal a new era of antitrust regulation in the realm of big tech. In 2019, the European Union fined Google $1.7 billion for abusive online practices. Since then, the European Commission has unveiled new measures to continue regulating large tech companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon. The two main proposals of this overhaul are the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act, which would promote consumer protection and streamline a single rulebook for digital markets. So now that we've gotten a sense of the issue, we'd like to discuss the narrative of the unchecked power of technology giants. It took quite a long time for federal regulators and state attorney generals to pursue antitrust charges against large tech companies. Why is that? And what is different now? 
Well, it wasn't that long ago that we um, perceived big tech as uh, benign and beneficial with very little in the way of downsides. Um, there was a lot of cool new stuff for users uh, to explore and play with. And as we've talked about, users often didn't have to pay out of pocket to receive those services. Um, and there was a lot of new entry and dynamism. And um, so there's, I think, a very optimistic uh, outlook on what the tech sector was bringing to the public. Now these uh, providers, um, the, the largest platforms um, are some of the largest companies in the world. Uh, they've grown to that size extremely quickly. Uh, faster than any other companies in in history uh, the top five companies in the s p 500 are now worth more than the bottom 282 companies and uh four out of the five are um tech platforms so uh and the other one is microsoft so along with this growth we've seen increases in their uh, economic and political power and influence and concerns about that. We have also seen not quite as much new entry. Um, many would-be competitors have been purchased by the large uh, platforms. Um, and so the, the entry stories of 10 years ago are, are getting a little bit old. Um, and I think most importantly, we've seen some pretty big downsides associated with platforms or that people associate with platforms. Um, like the propagation of misinformation, political polarization, um, socially corrosive content, uh, threats to democratic values and institutions, and an increasing awareness of the loss of privacy of users and the implications of that. So I think that that change in the climate and the change in the size and scope of the companies and their reach uh, is what explains what has what has changed in our attitudes about them and our consideration of antitrust remedies. Interesting. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying it's also about the change of reputation of the big tech giants and that 10 years ago, everyone in society was amazed by the new possibilities. But now that we've seen the bad sides as well, it's also a question of political thinking. I think that's exactly right. They were sort of shiny new objects. Uh, and I think that was our honeymoon period with those companies. And uh, and I think now everybody is much, much more um, aware of how uh, uh, the platforms can um, have a downside. So I, I think that's shaped public thinking and uh, and also the thinking of enforcers and regulators and Congress about what the, whether something needs to be done to intervene, regulate, uh, bring to heel the tech platforms. Attorneys general from 10 states filed a complaint against Google, accusing the search giant of abusing its monopoly over its online ad technology. The suit accused Google of owning the ad exchange, which allowed them to set rules for trading ads, but also acting as a broker to assist publishers in selling ad inventory. The complaint alleged that Google's power in the online advertising market resulted in a monopoly tax on businesses. 
This tax was transferred to Americans through higher prices and lower quality on products advertised on Google. One of the centerpieces of the complaint includes Google's purchase of DoubleClick for over $3 billion in 2007. The purchase gave Google the rights to DoubleClick's advertising software and also expanded Google's relationships with internet publishers, advertisers, and ad agencies. Google's purchase of DoubleClick and other ad software development startups has provided Google with a market share in each step of online advertising, including publishers, advertisers, and mobile ads. These acquisitions raise questions of whether Google's ad business could be considered anti-competitive. William Kovacic, a former member of the Federal Trade Commission who approved the DoubleClick deal, said, quote, if I knew in 2007 what I know now, I would have voted to challenge the DoubleClick acquisition, end quote. Alphabet, Google's parent company, responded that the rationale for the DoubleClick deal was finding a piece of technology to invest in rather than to monopolize the ad marketplace, and that online ad prices have steeply fallen, showing that the ad marketplace remains highly competitive. In its investigation report, the House Judiciary Committee notes that tech giants have been exploiting their power through their self-preferencing, predatory pricing, and exclusionary conduct. Could you elaborate on this anti-competitive conduct? What are some examples of what Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Google have been engaging in? So um, uh, these are different um, strains of problems. Um, Self-preferencing is basically using the platform to promote a vertically integrated product or service that's owned by the platform. An example of that would be Amazon uh, promoting its own house brands against third-party products that are also being sold on the platform, uh, or Google offering and favoring its own services like the, its comparison shopping service um, over its competitors and search results. So that's self-preferencing. Um, it's essentially uh, kind of a conflict of interest uh, when a platform is both a a host to competitors and a competitor. Predatory pricing refers to charging prices below some measure of cost, usually marginal cost, uh, in order to drive competitors out of business um, and then recouping those losses that have been sustained later. That is, under US law, very hard to establish antitrust violation under the test articulated by the Supreme Court in the Brook Group case. Um, but the there are examples of, uh, of that behavior by the tech platforms um, that uh, critics of those platforms have pointed to as, as um, situations where predatory pricing ought to be able to um, uh, address the, the, the issue. One would be, for example, the um, Amazon's conduct with respect to a company called diapers.com. Um, it was its parent company was called Kidzy. And uh, diapers.com started selling diapers online and uh, promoting uh, the kind of young parents segment. Amazon got worried about that, started promoting a, a, a segment called Amazon.mom or something like that, I think it was called. And selling diapers and other baby stuff below cost, uh, allegedly, and putting a lot of stress on diapers.com, which it ultimately ended up buying. Uh, and after it did buy 
the company it it uh, raised prices on diapers. So that's an example that people have pointed out um, uh, of of a situation that the law ought to be able to attack as uh, predatory pricing. Exclusionary conduct is a broad category, um, but essentially it means when a monopolist or a dominant firm takes non-efficiency-based actions to deny uh, its would-be competitors access to distribution or other inputs necessary for them to compete. So an example of that would be Google paying Apple to pre-install Google search on Apple devices and, and not to install any other uh, search engines or requiring Android OEMs to pre-install Chrome and Google search if they want the Google Play Store. Um, so, but as I say, that covers a wide waterfront of potential uh, conduct. Okay, so you showed us how these specific issues are all very different. But do you also see a common threat to the conduct of each of the companies that have been accused of it? I would say that um, much of it falls into the category of reinforcing entry barriers and protecting a dominant position. Um, once the firm has ended up in a dominant position, which it might have you know, attained without doing anything untoward, um, the allegation is that it's creating obstacles for competitors that prevent them from getting a foothold. And there's a variety of different ways it can do that, including by buying them. So we've talked previously about exclusionary conduct, and I want to speak a little bit about taking Google as a concrete example. In the case of Google, what is illegal about paying companies to make their search the primary search engine for browsers and smartphones? Isn't it like choosing what goes on your billboard? And why should the government be interfering in this seemingly contractual matter? Well, that's a good question, Kavya, and I don't know that it is illegal. Um, the Google argues that it isn't, uh, and it points out that competition is only a click away. If you've ever um, done it yourself, it's very easy to download a, a new search engine. Whatever's installed as a default on your device, you can pick another search engine, including alternatives that are more um, protective of personal privacy, like DuckDuckGo. So, uh, Google says, look, competition is a click away. We're not doing anything other than competing and promoting our own product. And if people stick with it, that's because it provides more robust search results and better service uh, than the competition. And that's the essence of competition. The government is arguing, as it did in the Microsoft case in the 1990s, that uh, these inducements are not competition on the merits. Uh, they're exclusionary, and they're designed to protect Google's monopoly in search, where it enjoys a 90% share. So whether or not um, a court is going to agree with Google or with uh, the government, we will see, because there's now uh, a case that's been filed by the US DOJ, as well as 46 states, and uh, that's exactly what's at issue. The European Union has already, or the European Commission has already um, fined Google uh, for 
this conduct in the Google Android case, when that that uh, uh, action is up on appeal now, um, but the U.S. case is just getting started and is not expected to go to trial until uh, fall of 2023. Facebook blocked all news on the platform from access by Australian users after an escalation of a dispute between Facebook and the Australian government about a law that would force Facebook to pay publishers for sharing their news stories. This gave an indication of the significant impact antitrust regulation can have. While loss of access is one of the dangers posed by the enormous market power of the corporations, stronger antitrust intervention would certainly have some positive consequences for the consumer. Examples of benefits include reduced flow of data and exchanges between portals like Instagram and Facebook, or better services and lower prices due to increased competition in the marketplace. So going a little further into Google, in the antitrust lawsuit that Attorney General of Texas brought against Google, he stated that the company has been, quote, acting as the pitcher, catcher, batter, and umpire all at the same time, end quote, in the digital advertising market. Can you expand on the company's anti-competitive behavior in the online advertising arena and how that has affected small businesses in particular? And why should the average American be worried about this? Well, again, these are allegations, so I'm not sure that anybody needs to be concerned about them, but uh, giving them credit for what has been alleged. Um, Google operates a number of services across the online advertising ecosystem, essentially designed to um, help advertisers and publishers place and display ads. But Google also competes with those same advertisers and publishers. And the Texas lawsuit essentially says that uh, Google is rigging the process in its favor uh, and extracting uh, more than it is should be entitled to uh, for the services that it provides. Um, the lawsuit also alleges that Google essentially bribed Facebook not to invest in a competing ad auction technology called header bidding, uh, which resulted in less competition. And that's been one of the most sensational parts of that Texas lawsuit and the thing that they constantly talk about, um, uh, even though they haven't sued Facebook in that case, it's just uh, Google, but they talk about it as a, as a collusive agreement uh, to uh, produce Facebook's exit from the header bidding um, business. And uh, we, again, whether or not that uh, allegation finds support in the facts and convinces a court remains to be seen. That case, unlike the other cases against the platforms, is filed in, um, in the Eastern District of Texas as opposed to Washington, DC. And that docket moves a lot faster than the docket in the District of Columbia. So we may see that case go to trial first if it doesn't get moved. Um, you asked also, what, why should small businesses care about this? Um, allegedly because they're paying too much for online advertising uh, or are getting lower quality ad placements than they might otherwise get if there were more competition. And why should consumers care? Um, the theory would be that if advertisers are paying um, more than they should, then some of the price increase 
would be passed on to consumers uh, in the form of higher prices for the goods that are being advertised. Thank you for putting that into perspective. Stepping away from Google, if we could look at Apple for a moment, what about the company's app store practices necessitates antitrust considerations? I believe there haven't been any formal investigations into the company yet. Well, there, the Congress is looking at the Apple App Store um, behavior, and um, there isn't a U.S. government lawsuit against Apple uh, as there is against FTC and, or excuse me, there isn't a U.S. government lawsuit against Apple as there is against Facebook and Google. Uh, there's some private litigation against Apple uh, and some other investigations going on. And I'm not sure any of what Apple has done necessitates enforcement, but uh, they're essentially accused of a form of self-preferencing, uh, giving more prominence to their own apps in the App Store search results, um, charging too much in the way of commissions for uh, app sales and in-app purchases, and not allowing alternative forms of in-app payments um, for uh, people who want to buy things when they're using an app. Apple has its own iOS payment platform. And when you want to buy something, it, when you're using an app, you go through Apple and that's where Apple collects its 30% commission. There is a lawsuit underway by uh, Epic um, against Apple. Epic makes the Fortnite game and uh, Epic uh, included a uh, a way in the Fortnite game of paying Epic directly for in-app purchases, and um, which was in direct violation of the Apple Developer Agreement, and Apple kicked them out of the Fortnite, or excuse me, kicked them out of the um, uh, App Store, and there's a lawsuit that uh, uh, is now underway in the Northern District of California by Epic Games against Apple for for doing that. So we'll, we'll see again, I think that's scheduled to go to trial, um, in perhaps early next year. And, uh, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Um, but that's the conduct that's been spotlighted. Intervention by government action is already having serious consequences for tech giants, business operations. Alphabet, for example, has already refrained from individual acquisitions due to lawsuits filed by the justice department. Meanwhile, experts speculate that the pending lawsuits could eventually force companies to divest via partial sell-offs, such as Facebook with Instagram and Alphabet with Google's ad business. Some companies, like Google, have responded with concerns about the new rules limiting data, such as combining data for location of a restaurant, its menu, and reservation application. Going back to the bigger picture. How realistic is it that these ongoing and the potential proceedings you mentioned actually will have serious consequences on the companies and their operations? How concerned should big tech be? I think there's a very realistic prospect of changes um, if we consider the whole picture. There's a lot besides these lawsuits uh, that is also going on in the background. There's um, international enforcement. Uh, in the European Union and elsewhere against the platforms. In fact, they have a pretty big head start on the, the US authorities' claims against the platforms. There's um, 
regulatory initiatives that are under consideration. Um, there's tougher merger enforcement that I am sure lies ahead for the platform companies. They've com completed hundreds of acquisitions for billions of dollars over the you know past decade or so. None of those acquisitions was challenged. Most of them were not seriously investigated. And I think that um, we're not going to see that repeated going forward. I think that there'll be a very um, uh, intense scrutiny of any mergers that the platforms propose going forward, even ones not involving uh, competitors. And finally, there's proposals to change U.S. antitrust law to reform it, uh, to address some of the uh, weaknesses that some legislators and commentators have pointed out um, that enable the platforms to you know do what they do and and uh, not worry as much about antitrust claims. So I, I think a combination of all that, plus the fact that the government is now suing, that that is likely to change the course for how the platforms operate, just as it arguably did for Microsoft when the government brought the case against Microsoft. Although it prevailed, it was not able to break Microsoft up and the remedy was uh, relatively mild uh, when Microsoft uh, finalized it with the government, it still, people say, provided um, opportunities, including for companies like Google and Facebook to spring up in places where Microsoft might have um, snuffed them out or, or uh, competed them out of existence before they got going. So I, I do think that it's almost certain that there will be changes coming to the platforms in one way or another. So speaking again about the social media market in specific, and I think it goes back to the topic of marketing and market tipping you mentioned. It appears as if the very business model of a social network like Facebook would eventually result in a quasi-monopoly business. It's a goal of a social network to build a platform that connects people worldwide, ideally all people worldwide. And this may very well conflict with an antitrust objective of having a market full of competition and different service providers. Is it at all realistic to expect social media networks to compete without one provider eventually having a monopoly position? Um, it's certainly true that the social market is, a, um, is one where network effects are very strong. So nobody wants to join a social network that doesn't have uh, other people that you want to connect with. So the more people that are on it, the more valuable it is to the users. And so it has a tendency to spiral up and um, concentrate and for there to be one winner as there has been, or predominantly one winner as there has been for Facebook. There's niche competition around the edges, um, you know, where, for example, Snap came up with ephemeral social media, um, and that was different from Facebook, although Facebook copied that feature. Um, Instagram photo sharing, uh, which was a niche product that uh, gained popularity before Facebook uh, bought it, then Facebook bought it, and it's gained a, a lot of popularity since. Um, so there, it's it's hard to imagine uh, a head-to-head -head competitor 
for Facebook, offering exactly the same thing that Facebook is offering, succeeding uh, because of the strong network effects and the difficulty of unseating such a big player. But the way competition happens in these industries is that um, it's generally somebody in an adjacent space or a niche uh, space that gets interest and critical mass among a key group of users. And we've seen that in like TikTok. Um, and it can actually uh, make a dent in, uh, in a dominant player's market share. Uh, but the, the effects are there, notwithstanding, and it, it makes it tougher for competitors, for sure. To kind of get into some general considerations about the anti-competitive behavior, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. But our question is, is it in this case? Was any of this foreseeable? Were there policies or regulations that should have been implemented during the telecommunications revolution of the 80s and 90s that would have curbed the expansion of technology monopolies? Or is this anti-competitive dynamic a fundamental challenge of the sector? Well, so at one level, um, it it wasn't easy to foresee. If it had been, then everybody would have bought um, shares in these companies when they were very little. Um, I remember when um, I was representing Amazon.com when it went public, and um, the day it went public, Barnes and Noble started its online bookstore, and everybody thought that that was going to crush Amazon um, because Barnes and Noble was an established bookselling brand, and Amazon was just this little startup. Um, but it would have been a very good decision to buy um, Amazon stock at the uh, opening day and hold on to it. So I don't think people s- foresaw um, how big these companies would grow and how successful they would be. Um, and certainly I didn't. And during the 80s and 90s, um, there was uh, not much appetite for uh, heavy-handed regulation. In fact, in you know the Reagan years and beyond, there it was the opposite. And most of what was happening was deregulation of previously regulated industries. And on the antitrust side, um, this is when some of the most um, defendant-friendly decisions got handed down when uh, the courts were under the uh, influence of Chicago School Antitrust Thinking, which was you know, very... Um, uh, classical and uh, hesitant about interfering or making mistakes of getting too involved in regulating markets and specifically uh, monopolies. So I don't think um, I don't think it was foreseeable, and I don't think it would have been politically uh, doable or jurisprudentially doable to do anything about it back then. Um, And some have argued that the laissez-faire system that we had is what gave rise to these companies in the first place, right? We don't see companies like this or as many like this growing up in uh, Europe where there was a heavier regulatory hand or other places. Um, They they started here and they flourished here. And there's an argument that they did because uh, there there were less um, obstacles in their way uh, legally and and from a regulatory standpoint. 
I definitely agree. It probably wasn't foreseeable because that's probably the first stock I would have bought if I'd foreseen it. Kind of to transition to your opinion, what is your biggest concern regarding the power of tech giants today? My biggest concerns are uh, the platform's role in socially corrosive effects on society. I mean, polarization, challenges to democracy, misinformation, uh, and loss of privacy. I think those are the those are the issues that I think have the highest salience for me. Um, I'm not sure that antitrust is the right tool to address those issues. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure that it is in a lot of ways not the best uh, tool to address those issues, but I think those are the most serious issues. When you say it's not the best tool, what other tools are there for addressing this that you think would be more optimal? I think uh, direct regulation of the the platform behavior. You know, um, we worry about bad content in social media. It's not clear that having more competition is going to produce good content. In fact, there's some evidence that the smaller uh, platforms have more radical and more extreme content. Like, you know, if you look at 4chan or 8chan uh, or Parler, uh, their content is terrible. And um, uh, so it's breaking up um, and it, uh, the platforms and, and uh, inciting more competition may backfire. So I think the way to address that is to uh, more directly try to control the content that you're worried about. And that is no easy task, uh, but it seems to me a, a more direct way of addressing the problems that are really at issue. While there is no sign that the growth of big tech will abate in the next few years, lawmakers around the world are scrambling to find ways to put limits on these corporations. Responses so far by the federal government have been limited, and so state governments are starting to regulate big tech themselves. For example, Maryland, Indiana, and Connecticut are considering taxing ads shown by Google and Facebook to state residents. New York is proposing reforming its antitrust laws to make suing tech companies easier. And in Florida, lawmakers have drafted a bill that prohibits tech companies from suspending political candidates' accounts. The European Union in particular is trying to lead the way with fundamental revisions to antitrust digital rules in order to hold the big U.S. tech companies accountable, potentially even forcing breakups of monopolistic companies. President Biden has said that breaking up Facebook is, quote, something that we should take a really hard look at, end quote. To look at actual legislative action, it is noteworthy that Senator Amy Klobuchar, as the incoming chairwoman of the Senate's panel on antitrust law and competition, has recently introduced the Competition and Antitrust Law Enforcement Reform Act that aims to overhaul antitrust law. The bill is, among other things, meant to make it easier to stop a tech giant's acquisition of a competitor. On a state level, New York is leading the way. A bill that was introduced in the mid of last year is currently subject to discussion in the relevant committee and may pass later this year. If it passes, the bill would make it easier to sue big tech companies for potential abuse of monopoly power. Going further in that direction about what's to come, let's get a better sense of what tools legislators have. You've mentioned some of the possible remedies by state and federal governments. 
What types of remedies have been shown to be effective in the past and out of the traditional antitrust cases tools that we have? Which of these do you think might work for the technology sector as well? Well, so what's been talked about um, most by, you know, the legislators who are promoting, you know, sort of hashtags, break up big tech is breaking up the companies. Um, there, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um, there's conduct remedies too, um, where you're just asking the companies to do or not do certain things. Um, for example, uh, I imagine that the government is going to ask Google um, or, or seek a remedy in which Google is not allowed to pay Apple to be the default uh, search engine on uh, Apple devices or to require uh, Android OEMs to pre-install um, the Chrome and, and uh, uh, Google search products. So those are conduct remedies. Uh, there's also fines. The European Union is very fond of fines. I don't think fines make that much difference for these companies because they're so huge that they can uh, pay them and move right along. And in fact, when you see big fines assessed, uh, often the stock price of the company who's paying the fine goes up um, because they, the investors see that the problem is now behind them. Um, there's regulation, um, as we talked about a minute ago, um, regarding privacy or interoperability. So if there was a way for you to move your um, the information that Facebook has about you and your, your web of relationships with friends to another social media company, it might make it easier for you to switch um, if you could transport that, um, that information, or if you could do the same with Amazon and your purchasing history and move to another e-commerce company. Uh, there are some privacy implications of that that are a little bit in tension of, with the uh, effort to lower entry barriers and reduce switching costs for users that helps competition. Um, making data more interoperable and accessible to competitors is um, uh, potentially puts that data at more risk of privacy violations. But those are some of the remedies that um, have been talked about traditionally in antitrust. Structural remedies like breakups are considered the gold standard. Um, but they might not work here because of the network effects that we talked about earlier. I mean, you can't, if you broke Facebook up into four, you know, companies like Facebook Northeast and Facebook South and Facebook West and Facebook Central, well, they probably would just coalesce back into uh, some version of you know, Facebook for everybody. So that that isn't a solution that necessarily works, nor, would it necessarily work to strip away Facebook's uh, acquired companies like Instagram or WhatsApp, which is something the government is seeking? Um, but we'll find we'll find out more as time goes on. I think we already touched on this earlier, but to kind of put it more concisely, I guess, could you put into perspective what would be the practical, observable result of these antitrust lawsuits? Essentially, what does it mean to have greater market competition in the technology sector? And how would that look like for the average American? 
Well, I'm not sure if the lawsuits are going to result in government wins, um, but generally with more competition, you see better quality, more innovation and lower prices. Uh, so, and here that might include uh, lower prices for online advertising. But as we've discussed, it's not clear that more competition uh, would actually address some of the more serious problems that we associate with the platforms, um, like misinformation and um, uh, divisiveness and threats to democracy. So I I don't know that the lawsuits are. Um, I know that one reason, or I'm confident that one reason that um, the lawsuits are happening is because people are concerned about those issues. But I'm not sure that even if the government prevails in those lawsuits, that uh, that's going to uh, help those problems. If antitrust isn't the solution to big tech and breaking them apart is not possible, how would new companies, similar to Google or Facebook, come about in this new kind of context? Well, um, if you think about, say, Facebook, right, when there's a, there's a famous um, Guardian headline from 2007 where the author wonders, will MySpace ever lose its monopoly in social media? And I'm sure this headline has followed the author around for his whole life. Um, but it talks, the article talks all about how network effects uh, and entrenchment are going to protect MySpace from any uh, competition going forward. And yet Facebook comes along out of a dorm room uh, in Harvard and, um, and does demolish uh, MySpace. Why? MySpace was um, uh, not a very good product. It had a lot of, you know, crummy ads and um, it just wasn't, it didn't have the features that Facebook had. Facebook had in the beginning, especially a certain amount of cachet because it was limited to Ivy League schools, first Harvard and then several others. So people wanted in and uh, it sort of spun that into uh, a very dominant uh, competitor. Question is, could that happen again? And um, people were more confident than it could several years ago when the the displacement of MySpace and Friendster were fresher in our minds. But but now I think people are more worried about it. So what would fix it? I think uh, or incite more competition or make it easier. I think interoperability. Um, probably, you know, making it easier for customers to uh, uh, switch social media um, sites. And as long as privacy issues can be solved, which is a big proviso, um, migrate to other platforms. Um, and that, that could give a, another platform a leg up in trying to compete with a dominant player like Facebook. Um, but it's, as I say, you might decide that you'd like to move your social graph over from Facebook to a competitor, but that's also information that belongs to your friends in your network. And what kind of consent do they need to give for you to successfully make that move? So there's a bit of complexity there, but I think that um, form of solution standardizing the data format such that they can be used by multiple competitors is um, 
a way forward that might um you know that might find some appeal So is the honeymoon period of big tech over or is this the beginning of a new era of competition in technology and social media? As covered in today's discussion, the field is rapidly developing and antitrust may not offer all the answers to regulate settled and emerging technologies. Despite this, we know change is looming as several suits against monopoly power and anti-competitive practices make their way up the courts. Going forward, antitrust lawsuits may be an important harbinger for other difficult conversations, such as the threat to democracy and privacy associated with digital platforms. Thank you for listening. The BTLJ podcast is brought to you by podcast editors Andy Zachrich and Haley Broughton. Our executive producers are BTLJ senior online content editors Alan Holder and Karnik Hajar. BTLJ's editor-in-chief is Emma Lee. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please support us by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, write us at btljpodcast at gmail.com. The information presented here does not constitute legal advice. This podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information in this podcast is up to date as of March 28th, 2021. The interview with Professor Hockett took place on February 26th, 2021.